Section 10 of Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume 2. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. New York, Thursday, February 8, 1906. Susie Clemens' biography continued. Romancer to the Children. Incident of the Spoon-Shaped Drive. The Burglar Alarm Does Its Whole Duty. Along one side of the library in the Hartford home, the bookshelves joined the mantelpiece. In fact, there were shelves on both sides of the mantelpiece. On these shelves and on the mantelpiece stood various ornaments. At one end of the procession was a framed oil painting of a cat's head. At the other end was a head of a beautiful young girl life-size called emmeline an impressionist watercolor between the one picture and the other there were twelve or fifteen of the bric-a-brac things already mentioned also an oil painting by elihu vedder the young medusa every now and then the children required me to construct a romance always impromptu not a moment's preparation permitted, and into that romance I had to get all that bric-a-brac and the three pictures. I had to start always with the cat and finish with Emmeline. I was never allowed the refreshment of a change end for end. It was not permissible to introduce a bric-a-brac ornament into the story out of its place in the procession. These bric-a-bracs were never allowed a peaceful day, a reposeful day, a restful Sabbath. In their lives there was no Sabbath. In their lives there was no peace. They knew no existence but a monotonous career of violence and bloodshed. In the course of time the bric-a-brac and the pictures showed where. It was because they had had so many and such violent adventures in their romantic careers. As romancer to the children, I had a hard time, even from the beginning. If they brought me a picture and required me to build a story to it, they would cover the rest of the page with their pudgy hands to keep me from stealing an idea from it. The stories had to be absolutely original and fresh. Sometimes the children furnished me simply a character or two, or a dozen, and required me to start out at once on that slim basis and deliver those characters up to a vigorous and entertaining life of crime. If they heard of a new trade, or an unfamiliar animal, or anything like that. I was pretty sure to have to deal with those things in the next romance. Once Clara required me to build a sudden tale out of a plumber and a ball-gun stricter, and I had to do it. She didn't know what a boa-constrictor was until he developed in the tale, then she was better satisfied with it than ever. From Susie's Biography 
papa's favorite game is billiards and when he is tired and wishes to rest himself he stays up all night and plays billiards it seems to rest his head he smokes a great deal almost incessantly he has the mind of an author exactly some of the simplest things he can't understand our burglar alarm is often out of order and papa had been obliged to take the mahogany room off from the alarm altogether for a time because the burglar alarm had been in the habit of ringing even when the mahogany room window was closed at length he thought that perhaps the burglar alarm might be in order and he decided to try and see accordingly he put it on and then went down and opened the window consequently the alarm bell rang it would even if the alarm had been in order papa went despairingly upstairs and said to mamma livy the mahogany room won't go on i have just opened the window to see why youth mamma replied if you've opened the window why of course the alarm will ring that's what i've opened it for why i just went down to see if it would ring mamma tried to explain to papa that when he wanted to go and see whether the alarm would ring while the window was closed he mustn't go and open the window but in vain papa couldn't understand and got very impatient with mamma for trying to make him believe an impossible thing true this is a frank biographer and an honest one she uses no sandpaper on me i have to this day the same dull head in the matter of conundrums and perplexities which susie had discovered in those long-gone days complexities annoy me then irritate me then this progressive feeling presently warms into anger i cannot get far in the reading of the commonest and simplest contract with its parties of the first part and parties of the second part and parties of the third part my temper is all gone in the days which susie is talking about a perplexity fell to my lot one day f g whitmore was my business agent and he brought me out from town in his buggy we drove by the porte cochere and toward the stable now this was a single road and was like a spoon whose handle stretched from the gate to a great round flower-bed in the neighborhood of the stable at the approach to the flower-bed the road divided and circumnavigated it making a loop which i have likened to the bowl of the spoon i was sitting on the starboard side as we neared the loop i sitting as i say on the starboard side and that was the side on which the house was i saw that whitmore was laying his course to port 
and was going to start around that spoon bowl on that left-hand side. I said, Don't do that, Whitmore. Take the right-hand side. Then I shall be next to the house when we get to the door. He said, That will happen in any case. It doesn't make any difference which way I go around this flower-bed. I explained to him that he was an ass, but he stuck to his proposition, and I said, Go on and try it and see. He went on and tried it, and sure enough he fetched me up at the door on the side that he said I would be. I was not able to believe it then, and I don't believe it yet. I said, Whitmore, that is merely an accident. You can't do it again. He said he could, and we drove down into the street, fetched around, came back, did it again. I was stupefied, paralyzed, petrified with these strange results, but they did not convince me. I didn't believe he could do it another time, but he did. He said he could do it all day and fetch up the same way every time, and by that time my temper was gone, and I asked him to go home and apply to the asylum, and I would pay the expenses. I didn't want to see him any more for a week. I went upstairs in a rage and started to tell Livy about it, expecting to get her sympathy for me and to breed aversion in her for Whitmore, but she merely burst into peal after peal of laughter as the tale of my adventure went on, for her head was like Susie's. Riddles and complexities had no terrors for it. Her mind and Susie's were analytical. I have tried to make it appear that mine was different. Many and many a time I have told that buggy experiment, hoping against hope that I would some time or other find somebody who would be on my side. But it has never happened, and I am never able to go glibly forward and state the circumstances of that buggy's progress without having to halt and consider and call up in my mind the spoon handle, the bowl of the spoon, the buggy and the horse, and my position in the buggy. And the minute I have got that far and try to turn it to the left, it goes to ruin. I can't see how it is ever going to fetch me out right when we get to the door. Susie is right in her estimate. I can't understand things. That burglar alarm which Susie mentions led a gay and careless life, and had no principles. It was generally out of order at one point or another, and there was plenty of opportunity, because all the windows and doors in the house, from the cellar up to the top floor, were connected with it. In its seasons of being out of order, it could trouble us for only a very little while. We quickly found out that it was fooling us, 
and it was buzzing its blood-curdling alarm merely for its own amusement then we would shut it off and send to new york for the electrician there not being one in all hartford in those days then when the repairs were finished we would set the alarm again and re-establish our confidence in it it never did any real business except upon one single occasion all the rest of its expensive career was frivolous and without purpose just that one time it performed its duty and its whole duty gravely seriously admirably it let fly about two o'clock one black and dreary march morning and i turned out promptly because i knew that it was not fooling this time the bathroom door was on my side of the bed i stepped in there turned up the gas looked at the annunciator turned off the alarm so far as the door indicated was concerned thus stopping the racket then i came back to bed mrs clemens said what was it i said it was the cellar door she said was it a burglar do you think yes i said of course it was do you suppose it was a sunday school superintendent she said well, what do you suppose he wants i said i suppose he wants jewelry but he is not acquainted with the house and he thinks it is in the cellar i don't like to disappoint a burglar whom i am not acquainted with and who has done me no harm but if he had had common sagacity enough to inquire i could have told him we kept nothing down there but coal and vegetables still it may be that he is acquainted with this place and that what he really wants is coal and vegetables on the whole i think it is vegetables he is after she said are you going down to see no i said i could not be of any assistance let him select for himself then she said but suppose he comes up to the ground floor i said well, that's all right we shall know it the minute he opens a door on that floor it will set off the alarm just then the terrific buzzing broke out again i said he has arrived i told you he would i know all about burglars and their ways they are systematic people i went into the bathroom to see if i was right and i was i shut off the dining-room and stopped the buzzing and came back to bed my wife said what do you suppose he is after now i said i think he has got all the vegetables he wants and is coming up for napkin rings and odds and ends for the wife and children they all have families burglars have and they are always thoughtful of them always take a few necessaries of life for themselves and the rest as tokens of remembrance for the family in taking them they do not forget us 
those very things represent tokens of his remembrance of us also we never get them again the memory of the attention remains embalmed in our hearts she said are you going down to see what it is he wants now no i said i am no more interested than i was before these are experienced people they know what they want i should be no help to him i think he is after ceramics and bric-a-brac and such things if he knows the house he knows that that is all that he can find on the dining-room floor she said suppose he comes up here i said it is all right he will give us notice she said well, what shall we do then i said climb out of the window she said well what is the use of a burglar alarm for us i said you have seen that it has been useful up to the present moment and i have explained to you how it will be continuously useful after he gets up here that was the end of it he didn't ring any more alarms presently i said he is disappointed i think he has gone off with the vegetables and the bric-a-brac and i think he is dissatisfied we went to sleep and at a quarter before eight in the morning i was out and hurrying for i was to take the eight twenty nine train for new york i found the gas burning brightly full head all over the first floor my new overcoat was gone my old umbrella was gone my new patent leather shoes which i had never worn were gone the large window which opened into the ombra at the rear of the house was standing wide i passed out through it and tracked the burglar down the hill through the trees tracked him without difficulty because he had blazed his progress with imitation silver napkin rings and my umbrella and various other things which he had disapproved of and i went back in triumph and proved to my wife that he was a disappointed burglar i had suspected he would be from the start and from his not coming up to our floor to get human beings things happened to me that day in new york i will tell about them another time from susie's biography papa has a peculiar gait we like it seems just to suit him but most people do not he always walks up and down the room while thinking and between each course at meals a lady distantly related to us came to visit us once in those days she came to stay a week but all our efforts to make her happy failed and we could not imagine why we did much guessing but could not solve the mystery later we found out what the trouble was it was my tramping up and down between the courses she conceived the idea that i could not stand her society 
that word youth as the reader has perhaps already guessed was my wife's pet name for me it was gently satirical but also affectionate i had certain mental and material peculiarities and customs proper to a much younger person than i was from susie's biography papa is very fond of animals particularly of cats we had a dear little gray kitten once that he named lazy papa always wears gray to match his hair and eyes and he would carry him around on his shoulder it was a mighty pretty sight the gray cat sound asleep against papa's gray coat and hair the names that he has given our different cats are really remarkably funny they are namely Straykit, Abner, Motley, Fraulein, Lazy, Buffalo Bill, Soapy Sal, Cleveland, Sour Mash, Pestilence, and Famine. At one time, when the children were small, we had a very black mother cat named Satan and Satan had a small black offspring named Sin. Pronouns were a difficulty for the children. Little Clara came in one day, her black eyes snapping with indignation, and said, Papa, Satan ought to be punished. She is out there at the greenhouse, and there she stays and stays, and his kitten is downstairs crying from Susie's biography. Papa uses very strong language, but I have an idea not nearly so strong as when he first married Mama. A lady acquaintance of his is rather apt to interrupt what one is saying, and Papa told Mama that he thought he should say to the lady's husband, I am glad your wife wasn't present when the deity said, let there be light it is as i have said before this is a frank historian she doesn't cover up one's deficiencies but gives them an equal showing with one's handsomer qualities of course i made the remark which she has quoted and even at this distant day i am still as much as half persuaded that if the lady mentioned had been present when the creator said let there be light she would have interrupted him and we shouldn't ever have got it from susie's biography papa said the other day i am a mugwump and a mugwump is pure from the marrow out papa knows that i am writing this biography of him and he said this for it he doesn't like to go to church at all. Why, I never understood, until just now, he told us the other day, that he couldn't bear to hear any one talk but himself, but that he could listen to himself talk for hours without getting tired. Of course, he said this in joke, but I've no doubt it was founded on truth. End of section 10 New York, Thursday, February 8, 1906. Susan Clemens' bio continued.